I want to acknowledge, though, before I, we even start reading Psalm 42, that I come to this topic with a great sense of humility and feelings of inadequacy. Because I myself have struggled in these places. I have walked with some of you through some of these places. And there's times where I feel like I am ill-equipped to speak into. Because each case is unique and different. The despair sometimes are, are darker than I even know what to do with. But the reality is we're not just going to be, we're not just playing games and we're not going just through some ritual. We believe, my friends, that Jesus gives us new life. And that new life is one where He says we are to cast our burdens on Him and He is strong enough to take those burdens and we can live in hope and joy. We can have hope for the future and hope for the present. Hope that brings life to our souls and will lift us up out of this pit of despair. And some of you, honestly, may be coming in here hanging on just a thread. And God, my friends, God has hope for you today. And the gospel message, I want you to know this, the gospel message actually has power for real life today. This psalm that we're going to read doesn't tie it off in a nice little bow with dancing angels all around it. It's not really like, oh, this feels resolved. All I have to do is plug and play. It's not that kind of thing. You are going to see that this is actually, Psalm 42 is actually a fight. And I think the beauty of this psalm is that God is showing you, He is showing us how we can have hope without figuring everything out. Because I think a lot of us want to have everything figured out. Just give me the answers. I just want it to go away. And Psalm 42 says, that's not how it works. And friends, this is why we go to God's Word every single week. This is why I want to encourage you to be in God's Word every single day. Because there is real hope and there for this real life. So my friends, would you stand for the reading of Psalm 42 from God's Holy Word. Hear these words. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in a procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, 
a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God! For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we need to look at verse 1. Because verse 1 is another one of those kind of tranquil images that you find on a coffee cup. If, you, if there was a family bookstore anymore. It's one of those cute little, oh, as a deer's pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. The reality is you, you get this image on, in your head that there's grass and there's a butterfly and there's clouds and there's happiness. Uh, and it's all stitched on this beautiful uh, throw pillow on your grandma's couch. It's really this really cute image, right? But listen, this, this is not that picture. This is an image of a deer panting for water, and it is not a pretty sight. If you have ever heard a, a deer that has been in pursuit, there is a, a, a wheezing to it. And they sound like they are in pain. Their breathing is heavy. It's labored. It's not a pretty sight. This deer is staggering in desperation because it is not finding anything to drink. And thirst is not pretty. You, you get dehydrated, you lose all your energy, you hallucinate if you don't get something to drink, and eventually, if you don't get the, the thirst that quenched that, like you need, you ultimately end up dying. And spiritual thirst is, is just as ugly, and it is just as dis- desperate. You can even hear that in verse, verse 3, right? My tears have been my food day and night, while they all say to me all day long, where is your God? I, I want you, that image to just kind of sink in for a minute because some of you experience this. The tears, the heaviness, the desperation, the thirst. The, this just puts words to where you are at. And the psalmist isn't just talking about a really bad day. He's talking about that darkness that seems to consume your soul so much that you you get to eat and nothing tastes good you cry until you are just out of tears the things you have seen around you seem to compound the darkness within you the psalmist says his enemies and his critics they're they're mocking him and they they seem to say or maybe it's even his tears are kind of mocking him and saying him where is your god in all of this See, his, 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 it seems like his present circumstances are mocking his past faith. His doubt has a way of even kind of rewriting history. I don't know if you, any of you have ever experienced this, where your doubt seems to, seems to rewrite your past. It's almost as if the tears or the critics are saying, hey, remember back in that time when you were close with God? You remember that season in life where everything was just hunky-dory and you were just on cloud nine all the, all the time? Here's the reality. It wasn't real. That was just your environment. God isn't real. After all, where is He now? 
But look at verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What's going on here? The psalmist is feeling alone. And you see where he wants to be? There's a procession to the house of God. Shouts and songs of praise. A multitude is celebrating God together. He, this man, the psalmist, whoever it is, whether it be David or a priest, is saying, I long to be in church. I long to be in God's presence with my brothers and sisters. He, because there in the church, his soul found refreshment and he found, it found encouragement. Out of all the things that he could want when he is in a desperate situation, what did he want? What did he long for? The people of God. Why? Because the multitude of voices praising God together lifted up his soul. What your eyes see and your ears hear goes to your soul. Let me say that again. What your ears see, what your eyes see and your ears hear goes to your soul. Listen, sometimes we can be way too casual about worship. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you. I don't expect you to worship a God that you don't believe in. But brother and sister Christian, I need to caution you because I love you. I need to caution you about being way too casual with something that God deems to be way so, so holy and beautiful and necessary. Something that should be like what the psalmist was to the psalmist, so valuable to you. The psalmist thirsted. He, he longed for worship when, with God's people. He longed for it. Listen, if, if gathering together is not valuable to you, you probably will not really understand what is going on here. God has always, always chosen to dwell among His people. Signs and wonders and feedings and everything happens when when God's people gather. And He uses those times of gathering together to encourage His people. And for us to encourage one another with His promises and with His love. Which means you are called by God to give that kind of encouragement and receive that kind of encouragement at least on the first day of the week. And that's what we do here each and every weekend. So when, you, when you're only here twice a month, hmm, preaching, or you just say, I'll, I'll catch up on the podcast. We just had too much going on. Not only are you violating the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh, the seventh is set apart 
for you. For your, your heart, your soul. And so not only are you violating the, the fourth commandment, but you are also starving your soul and you are depriving the rest of us the encouragement that God has for us through you. This isn't just a show that you could choose to attend. It's a collective worship session for the people of God to be encouraged and for you to encourage. So do you long for worship with the people of God like the psalmist? Do you hunger and thirst for meeting with God among His people? Listen, I want to give you just a few handles on how to do this. Fight to get, my friends, fight to get here every single week. Fight to get here. Drink your coffee on the way. Listen to the songs that we are going to be singing. And come ready to worship. Come ready to pour yourself out and to receive what God has for you. Don't just watch. When you come, don't just watch, but I want you to worship. I want you to be engaged in listening and seeing and hearing. Participate. I care about this because casual heart, a casual heart towards worship almost always reveals a very casual heart towards God Himself. And I love you, and I love worshiping with you. And if this offends you, maybe you are the ones who need to hear this this morning. This is a necessary and a commanded peace by God. And the psalmist is feeling detached from God's people. And he feels like he is on his own in his despair. And he goes on to show that there is an internal fight that he is going through. You see that in verses 5 through 6. Why are you downcast, O, o my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So if you are a Christian, then I can imagine this resonates with you some way. Why am I depressed? Why am I in this spiritual despair? Why am I so down? So what does the psalmist do? He stops and he preaches to himself. Hope in God. He's preaching to himself. That in, in the Hebrew is an imperative. In other words, he is commanding his soul and his mind. Hope in God. He's doing a stop. He, he's talking what he knows to be true. That God is his salvation. And that one day he will sing songs of praise like he used to sing songs of praise. He believes that God will save him. And that he is using this truth as a weapon against the darkness that is settling in on his soul. And he keeps on going. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember, I remember you. I remember you from this land that I was in. And his soul is cast down. And there, so his therefore, his therefore is remember, remember, remember. Account all these things. And then he goes on to verse 7. Deep calls to deep. As a roar of whose waterfalls? Your waterfalls. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone 
over me. We're going to come back to this in a a few minutes as I lay out kind of this fight plan for how how do we hope in God. But what I want you to see right here is that the psalmist calls out to God from the the depth of his suffering. The deep. The image of breakers and waves just crashing over him as he feels like I'm about to drown. Coming up for air. If I could just get out from underneath this toe, beneath these waves crashing in, they're pulling me down. The image of breakers and waves are just crashing over him. Which, by the way, he says, God, these are your waves. That deep pain calls and a deep love answers that call. And that's verse 8. First, there's deep, a deep pain and recognition. But then he says, by, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is within me. A prayer to God of my life. He's hurting. He's in pain. He's in despair. He's depressed. A song that is within him is not a pleasant, peaceful one. But it is filled with faith. His prayer is the prayer to the God of my life. And he says, why have you forgotten me, God of my life? But he says it is, he says it to the God who is his rock. Did you see that in verse 8? Oh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? His prayer is kind of a melancholy prayer. Not all, friends, hear this. Not all songs that we sing have to be songs of praise and happiness and upbeatness. Our culture tells us everything needs to have a really quick beat, right? Move it fast. I want to lift up my hands to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. But this is a song of despair, of crying out, and it's in the Psalter, the songs that they would sing together as the people of God. In fact, our Christian worship should be riddled with songs of lament as it is a part and parcel of our Christian experience. If there is a, a truth in this dictum or this, this saying the, of tell me how you lament and I will tell you how you are, then many contemporary evangelical churches are in really poor shape. Walter Brueggemann right, wrote this. A church that goes on singing happy songs in the face of raw reality, is doing something very different from what the Bible itself does. Some of you are going, I I just want to sing happy songs. But he's saying, listen, here's the reality. We should sing songs of lament. Songs that speak of our deep, deep pain. We should just not be singing happy songs in the face of the raw reality that something really different is going on in my heart. Thus, the inability to lament is is much more likely to be, go ahead, Ryan, the next one, a frightened 
numb denial and deception that does not want to acknowledge or experience the disorientation of life. Some of us just want to kind of ignore it and just say, it's not there, let's just push it down and just sing happy songs. And Walter Brueggemann is saying, no, we need to acknowledge this. We should not be deceiving ourselves. We should not be in denial. Your heart is downcast. Let's sing about that. So my, my friends, the songs that we sing here at Missio Day should be a mixture of lift up your hands to the Lord, sing loudly, and where are you, God, in my pain? But it doesn't stop there, does it? It moves on to, to verse 11. Verse 11 comes back to that, that refrain. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are, are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This, this is a repeat, a refrain. It's something that he has memorized in his head almost, right? It's, it's something that you should have on your little 3x5 card or uh, that you have stuck onto your refrigerator of saying, okay, here, here's my refrain when I find myself in despair. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. Hope in God. The psalm ends with him still in a battle and pointing his head and his heart towards victory, towards hope. But he's not there yet. He's not there yet. But he knows that the Lord is faithful and that one day, one day, and he's longing for that one day when he will be able to praise God again. One day his downcast head will be lifted up. And until then, he knows God is not waiting on him. But God is with him. So let me walk back through this and, and show you what I, I want it to be a, a fight plan. Kind of an action plan for hoping in God when, when darkness sets in. And I believe, I hope that this is going to give you some handles for those of us who struggle with depression and despair. And if you don't struggle with depression and despair, praise God for that. But you know what? There's going to be people around you who do. So you need the handles just as much. So these are some steps. Here's the first one. Be honest with God. There's a real rawness of, of Psalm 42 that may actually set some of you free. He used words that you go, oh, that feels refreshing that I can actually say this. Like, God, where are you? Why have you forgotten about me? Maybe you need to pull out a journal sometime and, and start writing these things out, your cries to God. Uh, write it down. Why do I feel this way? What is happening externally and what is happening internally? The reality is God is not afraid of your pain and God is not afraid of your doubt. Let the deep call out. The, the depths of your pain. Let it actually call out. And this is what verses 1-6 through six are all about. The deep suffering in the psalmist's soul is crying out. God, where are you? Why am I feeling alone? But here's the second thing. 
We are to listen to God. Don't just cry out. Be, be in a listening position. Deep calls out to deep, but deep also answers deep. The greatest, most essential, life-giving doctrine of the Christian faith is God actually loves you. He loves you. And His, His love meets you in your deep darkness. And there's two types of darkness of the soul. And I'll, I'm going to show you how God might answer in those moments. Here's the first one. In, in your darkness, as you're listening to God, maybe one of the first things that He is going to reveal to you is that, hey, Paul, there, there is sin in your life. You want to know why there's darkness and you, why you're feeling depression, why you're feeling despair? Maybe it's because you have unconfessed sin in your life. And you're not addressing that unconfessed sin. In fact, you're purting it up and making it look actually quite appetizing. Sin has consequences. And we need to understand that. All sin is equal in terms that it, of what it does to your relationship with God. Your, you, your sin and your fa- you sh- fall short of God's glory. But while all sin is equal before the eyes of a mighty and awesome and holy God, all sins do not have equal consequences here on earth. Sometimes our sin just mows a particularly dark path of destruction. Maybe you felt that with the sin in your life. It just it mows down everything and it destroys everything. Maybe you've hurt some people really badly. Maybe you've messed up your family in ways that you're not sure that they can ever re- recover from. I don't know your story, but your guilt, your self-destructive darkness because of your sin, is deep. You need to hear the Apostle Paul's word to you from 1 Timothy chapter 1. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save who? Sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Why is the Apostle Paul saying he is the foremost? It's not fair that he gets to rank himself, right? Hey, that Dude, uh-uh. But he, he's saying, I'm the foremost. Why? Because prior to be, becoming a, a Christian, he was hunting and killing Christians. He, was li- he literally had the blood of Christians on his hands. And my friends, that is a deep sin. And Paul is saying this because he is, he's been there in the, the guilty seat. And maybe you've been there. causing. Maybe you haven't killed other Christians. But maybe there is some deep hidden sin in your life that you don't want anybody to see. But you are kind of going, if I'm honest, I'm I'm the foremost. So the Apostle Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 1.16, but I have received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. He's saying that the reason that God saved him is so that he could be an example to you. That you, when you think that your sin has cast you too far from God, that you feel like you are in the outermost ring of darkness, he says, friend, remember that's a lie. That's a lie. Paul is saying, His forgiveness is still available to you. He's saying that God is patient. And this patient God says that if you would repent of your sin, as horrible as that sin may be, 
He can save you just like He saved the Apostle Paul. And I'm praying that some of you who build up these walls around your, the nasty darkness of your sin will recognize it today. The sin is killing me. I'm praying that you will let the light of Christ in today. Don't delay. Your sin is deep. But remember that His love is deeper than your sin. And then when you remember that His love is deeper than your sin, you can say with the Apostle Paul in verse 17, to the King of the ages, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The deeps of God's mercy made Paul worship. So if you confess your sin and receive His mercy, you can be see yourself free. And you can worship your God like Paul does. Or like the psalmist longs to. So there's, there's one thing of listening to God about the sin in your life, but here's the other one. Some of you are in the deep darkness of suffering. And I'm not talking about the pain. The mental, emotional, relational anguish. It's the kind of darkness of the soul that cripples. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's crippling. There may be temptations to wish you could just avoid this, this trial. That you could avoid any trial. and just If I could just have a restful, easy life. Yet it is here in your deep suffering that you are offered promises from God. One of my favorite preachers to, to read, and I want to encourage you to read old guys, because they, they really seem to have a way of of words. One of my favorite guys is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon suffered from depression most of his career. Psalm 42 was particularly important to him for that reason. Here's what he said about the deep trials of his life. Great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. For you, much afflicted ones, there are words great and mighty which are not meant for other saints of easier experience. You shall drink from deep golden goblets reserved for those giants who can drink great portions of wormwood, which is like poison. Trials are mighty enlargers of the soul. Yes, feel the loneliness of life. Here is a dreadful deep for you to sail on and the tempestuous deep much to be feared for your little boat may easily be wrecked. And that's kind of how depression feels. At any, any moment, my boat is going to be wrecked. But don't forget that there is another deep whose remembrance will remove you from the bitterness of your present sorrow. There is a love in heaven toward you which will never grow cold, immortal, and unchanging love. So those of you who struggle or constantly struggle or momentarily struggling with despair or depression, listen. Those of you who are denying the suffering because you're scared of the pain, 
let your deep call out so that you can hear the deep response from God. Your deep suffering has a deep answer. And so today I want you to fix your heart on it. Hear this hope in your soul. God loves you. He still loves you. He's sitting there right beside you. He sees your darkness. He sees your tears. He knows it. He is right there and He is saying, give me this darkness, Paul. Give it to me. I can take it. I can free you from it. In fact, He says, come to me, all those who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will do this for you. And John, John 15 says He abides not in the darkness of your soul, but He abides in love. Luke 15, Jesus says His love is like a father's arms wrapping around you, around a broken child saying, I love you and I will restore you. So don't worry about fixing yourself. Jesus is saying, just come to Me. Would you just come to Me and I will care for you. One of the reasons why despair is so hard to break free of is because we are so hesitant, so reluctant to trust anything, anything enough to put hope in it. But the psalmist says to his soul, and he commands his soul, hope in God. I don't know what has broken your trust, what has caused your depression, what has left you in the pit of despair. But today is a new day. His mercies are new, how often? Every morning. And you need to put your hope in the one who will never let you go. Which leads us to the third piece. The third piece is preach the gospel to yourself. And let me explain what I mean by that. The most influential person in your life is not your mom, is not your dad, is not your co-worker, is not your children. The most influential person on your very life is you. Now hear what I mean by that. You listen to you more than you listen to anybody else. Isn't that true? You listen to you. You've got, how many of you have an inner dialogue even going on right now? Every one of you, you're lying if you didn't raise your hand. You all have an inner dialogue. You are constantly listening to yourself all the time. We are always interpreting the events and the situations around us while quietly creating a storyline. Every one of us does it. It's a storyline out of who we are and what it all means to us. We are our own greatest influence, for better or for worse. And sometimes our our voice, still affected by the reality of sin like everything else, can be a very, very dangerous voice to listen to. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote on spiritual despair and he, he said it this way. I think I have it. Yep. The main trouble in this matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow our self to talk to us instead of Talking to ourself. Look at the debate that the psalmist is even having here, right? One minute he's saying, have you forgotten about God? Can you hear that voice going on in your head, right? Have you forgotten about God? Why are you so downcast? And then he interrupts his own line of thinking and says, 
Hope in God. Hope in God. It's not a multiple personality disorder. This is getting us to watch the psalmist come to his senses right before his own eyes. He says, listen, listen. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hmm, Stop, break, pause. Hope in God. Right now. Paul, hope in God. The psalmist stops himself and starts preaching the gospel to himself. So, if you are in despair over your sin, 2 Corinthians says this is how you preach to yourself. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm going to stop listening to myself when I say I can't get past this and I'm going to start preaching to myself. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. God has declared me to be free from sins, so shut up, self. I'm choosing God's words, not your words. Or maybe if you're in a place where you feel like God has forgotten you and and you find yourself scared, then you start preaching Hebrews chapter 13. He will never leave me nor forsake me. The Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? I shouldn't be afraid of these circumstances. Whom shall I fear? Or what about this? You feel like you are all out of hope and there's no reason to get out of bed. Revelation 21 says, one day He will wipe away every tear. No more pain. No more crying. And my hope in that day gives me joy in this day. So I'm going to stop listening to myself and start listening to God. If it feels like God has forgotten you and there is no hope with the writer, you are going to say from Romans chapter 8, what shall separate me from the love of God? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Nothing is going to separate me. Depth will not separate me from God's love. The depth of my depression cannot separate me from God's love. So you need to grab onto the deep love that God has for you. So we need to stop listening to our flesh, to the old self, and start preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to our own souls. God loves you. He's died for you. He's never going to let you go. He's given you a church to thrive in, brothers and sisters. And one day, one day, He is going to make all things new. But there's one more thing. Get a sparring partner. Your heart is deceitful. And even though we all know these promises sometimes, we can't seem to preach them to ourselves. We need someone to take God's promises and punch them into our thick skull. A sparring partner does what? He, he trains with you. He, I, I always think of like Rocky in Apollo Creed, right? He's got himself a sparring partner. You, you need someone who, who sees your weaknesses, who sees your blind spots, and lovingly, forcefully, and honestly calls you out on them. Some of us hate this because we would much rather be self-reliant, all-knowing, I know my problems. You don't have to tell me what's going on. But a sparring partner says, oh yeah, you've got some issues, dude. They may even say, you know what, this is beyond me. You need to see a professional counselor so you can get the professional help that you need. 
you, you have to be open to that. And it may hurt. But better short-term pain than the devil destroying your faith. Hear that? The devil will make his home in your weakness and destroy you through it. He loves wreaking havoc. So find a partner. Somebody who will be honest with you. Somebody who will say, you can say, I need you to preach to me for, for a minute because I'm feeling that this is just hopeless. My, my relationships, my marriage, my children, my finances, my job, my relational connections here, there, or everywhere, I'm just feeling hopeless. I, I need you to preach the gospel to me. And that brother or sister will, will preach the gospel, helping you remember God's faithfulness and His, His promises. And sometimes you're going to walk away from those feeling both dumb and encouraged. Dumb because how could I forget that? And encouraged because that's exactly what my soul needed. So friends, Christians, depression is real. Our solution is also equally real far more powerful in Christ. So be honest. Listen to him. Preach the gospel to yourself. Get yourself somebody in your community who will be honest with you. And strive for wholeness and holiness. Let's pray.